Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. On this edition of our podcast, I will be joined by Grant Williams was two-time All-SEC, two-time SEC Player of the Year at Tennessee. Decided to stay in the NBA draft, but you're going to want to hear this interview because I have uh, come across hundreds and hundreds of college basketball players over the last nearly 30 years, and he's got to be in my top 10 in terms of a guy that gets it, really gets it, about the entire student-athlete experience. And so just a joy to talk to him, wish him only the best, and You'll hear from him here shortly. Also, Xavier's uh, Travis Steele, the head coach of the Musketeers, their second season with him as the head coach. Najee Marshall, uh, who will be potential Big East first-teamer, uh, all-Big East player in terms of a potential Big East player of the year candidate, depending upon what happens with Miles Powell and Seton Hall, and could certainly give Marcus Howard a run for his money at uh, Marquette. Uh, so he will join us. Uh, and Brandon Quinn from The Athletic, we will discuss the new Michigan hire, Juwan Howard. Uh, I have gone on record that the timing was right. If they were ever going to hire Juwan Howard, he is at the right point in his career, six years as an NBA assistant, 19 years as a player. And, uh, you know, this this opening at this time of the year, if he was ever going to get the job, it was the perfect timing. We'll talk about why that is. Uh, and why he may have landed this job with Juwan Howard getting the Michigan job, big-time job. So we were taping this actually right before the Memorial Day holo- holiday, and there was big news on Friday as uh, Kansas learned that Silvio D'Souza, who was suspended last season, and it was a going to be a two-year suspension, so this was going to be the second year that he was going to be suspended, that was appealed, and Kansas won. So D'Souza will be back for the Jayhawks in the upcoming season. He'll join Yudoka Azubuke, who kind of surprised us all, deciding he would not declare for the NBA draft. So that may end up being the most formidable front court in the country. Kansas still waiting to find out on Devin Dotson and Quentin Grimes if they're going to stay in the NBA draft. And at this juncture, they're still in the mix for R.J. Hampton, one of the best players in the class of the uh, of of 2019. So there's a good chance Kansas. Well, first of all, they'll be right there to to win the Big 12 again. I know Texas Tech, <laughs> never doubting them, but uh, Kansas is going to be the favorite in the Big 12 yet again. And uh, one of the teams that could get to the to the Final Four, no question about it. So good news for the Kansas Jayhawks on Friday. Uh, later on Friday, NC State uh, found out that Markel Johnson was going to come back to school, which is another huge plus for the Wolfpack as they try to get into the NCAA tournament next season under Kevin Keats. And Johnson will be one of the more prolific scorers in the ACC, so that's big news for the Wolfpack as well. One other item I just want to keep hammering home. There's a lot of just chatter out there about, you know, will anything happen to these coaches that certainly have been uh, either named or their assistants named? 
you know, in the ongoing FBI investigation that just actually concluded with the latest trial. Look, the NCAA enforcement arm has been very consistent. Nothing was going to happen until the end of the trial. Well, the trial ended, so now the enforcement arm is doing its thing. So let's be patient. Everyone always rush into judgment. If Let's just see what happens in November, December. Let's see if there's any coach control suspensions at the bare minimum. Keep in mind, the NCAA cannot hire and fire. That's up to the universities, okay? That's up to the universities, not even the conference offices. Now, the one thing that they can do is they can suspend for games based on that coach control penalty. And they could also potentially suspend for the NCAA tournament because it's a tournament that they run. So these are all things that are still out there. So be patient, everyone. Nothing is finalized. Nothing is decided. It is just step one. The legal side is over. Now you move on to the investigative enforcement side with the NCAA. All right, let's get to our podcast and our guest. And now joining me here, March Madness 365, by far, uh, I would say one of my all-time favorites to talk to, someone that you have to cheer on and root for, and that's Grant Williams, leaving the University of Tennessee after an unbelievable career, uh, multiple SEC Player of the Year honors, leading Tennessee to heights, getting close to an Elite Eight, very close, uh, lost in the Sweet 16, but just an exceptional person. I'm pumping him up, but it's well-deserved. Uh, Grant, thanks for joining me. Uh, let's discuss first your decision. Uh, how hard was it to make the call that you made this past week that you're going to stay in the draft and not return to Tennessee for your senior season? Yeah, it was definitely one of the toughest decisions I think I've made in my entire life because I love the people there at Tennessee. I love the university. I knew there was more that I wanted to accomplish and the more I could have been good have done. But I, I also knew that it was the, the time to take the next step and, and pursue my dream and move on to the next journey because Coach Barnes did a great job preparing me for this step into the NBA. And I felt like it was just the time to make this step. You know, I remember we talked uh, at the lottery and you said you were going to make a decision on Saturday, you ended up announcing it on Friday. What ended up being that decisive moment for you where you said, you know what, this is right for me because I think I can not just contribute and get drafted, but maybe get drafted, you know, high enough to justify this decision? For one, it was a gut feeling. Um, it was something that I had, I think it was a win-win for me in both scenarios, but um, for me, it was a gut feeling. Also, was uh, the feedback that I received was amazing. Um, teams were giving me positive feedback, uh, be able to be picked early in, in the draft. And um, I think the teams were very interested. I did well in the interview process as well. I got some great feedback and talked to a lot of people around and, and I made a lot of great connections. So I felt like it was the right time. I felt like I had the teams that I was discussing with, those were great teams to be location and pick and to both play right away and also go to a winning culture and impact, impact the culture there. So, for me, it was just a matter of understanding what I valued and also the, the value that teams took in and the look that they had on to me. What's great, Grant, is uh, I'm going to guess here that you don't walk away feeling like you cheated anything, whether it was in the classroom, you know, socially, or certainly on the court. When you look back at your, at your three seasons at Tennessee overall, you know, all aspects of being a college student, a student athlete, uh, how much are you leaving knowing that you basically maxed out in all areas? Honestly, it's um, something where I look back and I'm thankful because I was blessed to go to the University of Tennessee and there's a lot of great friends that I've made at the University of Tennessee and a lot of lifelong connections that I've made. So 
University of Tennessee and passing my lives both in, in every way possible, both on and off the court. They allowed me to become a player that I today and also talk to you the band that I today as well. So being around guys like Coach Barnes, being around professors who um, taught me and I was able to earn my degree in three years, being around friends that pushed me both on and off, off the court to be the best man I could be. It was just the best of every single word world it could be. What I also love, and I know I'm just uh, <laughs> pumping you up, but it's all deserving here, is that you came in without the hype. Um, obviously, you know, a good recruit for Tennessee, but you weren't billed as a one and done. When you look back, and I think this is good fodder for those that are coming behind you, about when when you come into school, that it's not bad to end up staying two, three years, especially if you're not someone who is projected as a one and done, uh, as we're still in this era. What do you look back and see that, that you learned about yourself that maybe could be applicable for others as they come in trying to do what you did, which is be an exceptional student athlete in all facets, be a winner, be a player of the year, lead your team, you know, deep into the tournament, uh, all coming in as a freshman without those kind of expectations immediately put on you. I would just say take advantage of the time that you have there because not many people get into the gym and work as hard as, as for once as we do at Tennessee, but take advantage of the life that you have because you're in a university that's destined to you and take advantage of both in the classroom and off and on the court because you have 24 access to 24 hour access to the gym most times. You have times where you make these connections that can for one impact your, your life that you might not have made if you decide to go straight to the league and think guys like Zion and guys like that will attest that you can enjoy your college experience. And sometimes if that involves having to stay an extra year, then you need it. If you feel like you could improve with it, it doesn't matter if you're, even if you're a hyped up prospect, even if you're not, it's, it might help just to understand that you may have improvements that you want to work on in your game. So you have to be honest with yourself and understand your deficiencies. And if you work on those, then teams will love you even more. They might like you at the time, but the league is a business. It's a place where, um, you can get dropped just as you got picked up. So I've always thought of it as go back and be the best, be ready to be able to put two feet in, be ready to be able to give it your all and also compete and also be a man and be able to be mature enough to be there because, because like most guys, not many people come through and they're guys like LeBron James or Zion and guys that teams are going to invest in no matter what happens. Sometimes teams just believe that they can replace you and, in college, you can make yourself the best possible version of you before getting there and then even improve on that even more at the professional level. Then. So take advantage of your time in, in college and, and use the resources that you have available to you. See, and I love that answer because I'm a big believer that uh, I don't want to put restrictions on players working out. Um, but at the same time, if you want to spend four hours in the gym or over the course of the day, that's great. But you also have another responsibility in the class. And so it comes down to the player being you know, time management. And so if you have four hours in the gym, but you have two hours of homework, then that's on you. And if you can accomplish it, great, more power to, and you're going to be so much better off if you get all that done. How much you buy into that? Because I think you're a product of that, that, you know, sometimes there has to be ownership that, yeah, I want to work out really hard, but I also, I can't dismiss my other responsibilities of why I'm actually here and staying eligible. That's part of being a man, I say, because being understanding how to manage your time is the biggest thing because when you take that step to the next level, you may not have things that are going on. You might have a ton that's going on. So understanding how to how to get your work done while also getting better both on, on, on the court and in life is the biggest thing you have to learn while you're in college. And that's something that I took advantage of because 
I knew that, sure, I was challenging myself to graduate in three years. I was in up to 18 hours this past semester. But I knew that I had to spend time on the court as well. So it's a matter of weighing the balances and understanding where you can get things done, whether that's, hey, instead of playing my video game right now, I need to get this homework done, and that way I can spend more time at the gym later. That's something that you have to learn and, and be mature about because after college, it's a dog-dog world. You're going to be competing for your eyes and spots every, t- in, every single day. Um, I say that. In college, you really worry about playing time. You worry about you go back and you go play Xbox with dudes when you're back in your room and you're really close to your teammates. And sure, you might get that in the league occasionally, but half the time you're going to the league and you're veterans. You're guys that enjoy to go out. You and guys with families back home. So you might not be able to make those relationships and you're competing for financially. So the biggest thing that you have to learn about in college is you have to learn how to work while also learning how to manage your body and manage your expectations because there's not many people that can that aren't expendable. And that's something that guys aren't honest with themselves about. So the biggest thing is learning how to value that time and make the most of that time, whether it's 30 minutes in the gym, going in and giving your hardest 30 minutes and getting better at one area in the game. That doesn't take you so much further than spending six hours in the gym and, and just throwing shots up. All right, before I let you go, Grant, and I appreciate this, you're gone. Admiral Schofield's gone. Uh, we don't know exactly everyone yet. Roster's still fluid. But from what you know, from what you know of players definitely coming back or maybe those coming in, help me out with a little scouting report of next season's Tennessee team. As of now, what do you see? I definitely see a, a different version. I definitely see a more um, guard-oriented but talented team. Uh, guys are sleeping on them and believing that this team is talented enough to do what they did and compete at the high level that we did before, but the guys on that roster, look at guys with Lamonte Turner, who's a veteran, he's going to lead those guys better than anyone. Same with Jordan Bowden, Jalen Johnson's going to have a breakout year. And then they brought in some size. They brought in some bangers. They brought in Euros. They brought in Olivier. They have a lot of guys who can really contribute. Zach Kent, who's worked harder than probably anyone in the gym these past couple of months. Like, Tennessee's no, no one to be slept on. So they're going to be a, a, a really skilled team. Uh, they probably won't be as athletic and physical as they were, used to be with myself and Admiral and, and Kyle and, and Derek and those guys of that size. But they definitely have more. I feel like they have a more basketball like knowledge of the team. They they play to their strengths to understand the game better. And I think Coach would do a great job of leading. They have a great development coach in Kim English and Coach Schwartz and Lentz and all those guys. So I'm excited for them. I'm excited to cheer them on and, and, and give them my support. Well, I said this the day of the lottery. I don't care which team it is, what city, wherever you end up, and we'll find out on June 20th, they're going to love having you in the locker room, in the community, and everywhere else. You know I only wish the best for you, Grant. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And coming up here on March Madness 365, let's talk about the Michigan hire with Brandon Quinn from The Athletic. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Brandon Quinn from The Athletic, who covers Michigan, Michigan State, and all things college basketball. Uh, does a little golf as well, so he's uh-huh. multiversatile, but uh, more than anything, he's a great writer, great reporter. Uh, Brendan, let's talk Michigan. Juwan Howard, the new head coach of the University of Michigan from the Fab Five. I would argue he is the only member of the Fab Five who could get this job uh, because of his path, You know, the fact that he graduated a year after uh, he left with his class, the fact that he was an assistant, played for 19 years, did it the right way, kind of Patrick Ewing-esque where he went about things the right way and trying to learn the craft. If there was anyone that was going to come from the Fab Five, to me, he's the only one that could have gotten this job. 
What say you? Yeah, I would agree. And especially because even in recent um, recent history, like the last 10 years of kind of the very complicated relationship of the Fab Five amongst itself and with the university, Juwan was always kind of above the fray or out of it entirely. You know, a guy like Jimmy King liked to really keep the Fab Five conversation alive. Jalen Rose was all about that, but it often kind of morphed into this um, endless, you know, back and forth with he and Chris Weber and Ray Jackson would kind of dip in and out of things, but like Juwan just kind of stayed out of it. And there was never any really hostility from him toward anyone on the group or in the school or anything like that. And it made it, yeah, I think it did make this a possibility. So the other thing that, that really irritates me and you were there, you've covered this team as well as anyone and you went overseas with them. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, when I heard this narrative from Jalen Rose a little bit and Jay Williams, you know, about the culture, yeah. the culture is great. I mean, I would argue that the last dozen years may have been the best culture that Michigan basketball's had in modern times. And that includes the Fab Five because there wasn't sort of garbage around it. You know, high character guys developed and sure there was some transition with the staff and guys leaving. But overall, a great culture of winning, of carrying yourself the right way, and of producing NBA players. Hello, Karis LeVert with the Brooklyn Nets. So that's the only thing that irked me, that there needs to be this culture change. I, to me, the culture is fine. You're there on the ground all the time. What do you think of the culture? Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously the, the Beeline's record there, with whatever you want to call it, culture-wise, the guys he produced, you know, there was – very little stuff off the court. Like the biggest thing of, of Beeline's time there was Mitch McGarry failing a drug test, really. Like that's it. Um, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find a lot worse stuff. So, yeah, the culture was fine under John Beeline. It was different. It might not be what those guys or some people wanted it to be, which is, you know, living in the past a little bit and celebrating uh, what what guys did as opposed to what the people there are trying to do and those that come after them. The whole Fab Five thing in this hiring is really the only downside of hiring Juwan. Um, you know, other than yeah, the experience of not being a head coach and all this stuff. But you know, six years as an as an NBA assistant coach, nineteen years playing in the NBA, played college ball, knows Chicago, knows all these cities, knows everyone in the league. But the fact that the part of this conversation has to keep coming back to the Fab Five is. You know, I wonder if that's good for the program or not. And uh, a lot of people are, are going to ask that. It's going to be continue to be a conversation. Part of the problem with the Fab Five, as someone who's covered the program for six years, is that it was always about the Fab Five. It wasn't about Michigan a lot of times. So, you know, now it needs to be different. You know, Juwan Howard has to figure out a way that this is not about 1992. You know, this is basketball. This is Michigan basketball right now. None of that matters. So uh, they need to find a way to make sure that this is Juwan Howard, head coach of the University of Michigan, not Juwan Howard, former Fab Five member who is the head coach of Michigan. And let's also remember, I mean, you know this and those listening, that uh, the majority of the Fab Five was from the area. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's cyclical. Um, You know, a lot of the talent in the late 90s, 2000s actually was not coming from necessarily – Detroit as it was northern Michigan or not not northern Michigan as in the UP but you know the middle state the part of the state Flint Saginaw uh which is Michigan state territory so and obviously Tom Izzo benefited 
during those sanctions at Michigan. And that's sort of when Michigan State really took off. And so, uh, you know, all that is cyclical. But, you know, you can't always keep everyone home. And now that you've got this big dog that's, you know, in East Lansing, that's going to be the number one team in the country next season. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so you can't assume that suddenly he's going to roll in there and, and A, there's going to be all this talent that's suddenly going to be there and B, is going to come right there. There's now look at the look at the type of competition with Penny Hardaway at Memphis. You know, we'll see what Jerry Stackhouse does at Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. Let alone Coach K and Calipari and Bill Self and uh, you know and Izzo. I mean, so there's a lot of competition out there. Uh, Michigan historically, you know, has not completely bent its academics to get guys in. Right. So uh, it, it's. You know, it's going to be a challenge. And that's that was the beauty of what I thought Beeline and his staff did was they got guys, you know, sure, where they wanted more higher level recruit, uh, you know, star guys. Sure. But at the same time, they developed players who right. became NBA players. And that's the culture that you, ma- you got to make sure you at least continue. And then if you can get those other guys, great. But, you know, the, 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 the rule is going to change in a couple of years. And so those one and done guys aren't even going to be here anyway. Yeah, I mean, my my two biggest questions are exactly that. I, I feel like Juwan Howard is going to get Michigan into living rooms that they weren't really in during Beeline's era. Um, you know, there's, there's going to be talks with probably more top 50 kids and all those things. And, you know, can they close is going to be the question. And, you know, a lot of those kids still, it takes a certain thing to make it happen. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know what Michigan's going to look like. Um, under this new regime, it needs to stay what it was because, you know, you could say a lot of things about John Beeline's recruiting, uh, but you can't say it was dirty. So, you know, they, they need to keep that in place, but then find a way to to increase the talent because I think it would be foolhardy to think that it would be possible for this new regime to develop talent maybe quite the way that, that John Beeline did. That is his absolute top trait is developing talent. And then my second big question is, what does the offense look like? And, you know, is this going to be Jawan Howard trying to introduce more of an NBA-style offense to Michigan, or is he going to bring in maybe an, an ex-head coach that maybe runs the offense and kind of develops it? But, you know, Michigan was running a very modern offense for, for the, the college game, was always kind of a step ahead of, of where the game was going. And, you know, wh- where does it go now? It'll be really, really curious to see. And, and lastly, let's talk about this team. Uh, as of now, we know for sure that, uh, well, I, I guess we don't know for sure, but let's assume yeah, yeah, yeah. Xavier Simpson, John Teske, Isaiah Livers, that's your core that they're returning. Uh, I, I still think they've got the, the core group to make the tournament um, based, you know, relative to the rest of the league and the season and, and the country. Uh, where do you know that roster stands and, and what do you think about you know, their chances if, if at least everyone stays that should stay. Yeah, I mean, they have multiple open scholarships. Uh, number, You know, first of all, you have to retain the guys that the new staff and what that staff looks like to be determined. But, um, you know, they have to retain the guys that they want to retain um, and then, you know, go all in on, on, on keeping Jalen Wilson in the fold. He's a top 100, top 50 kid. Um, high, high, high level talent, a shooting guard, major place of need for this team. Jordan Poole's gone. You know, they really, really need to keep him in the fold somehow. Um, and it sounds like he's open to talking to, to Jawan Howard, but North Carolina and Kansas are right in there. So you have to try to retain Jalen Wilson. 
and then maybe get creative with the other two spots. You know, Juwan Howard has contacts all over the place and what's available, what's out there. There's probably a lot of names that we don't even know yet. So uh, I would look for them to make multiple additions. Um, but then I would also imagine there's probably going to be some attrition or always, I mean, finally one coaching change where, you know, one or two names at least don't go into the, into the portal. Um, I would imagine Michigan will lose one or two guys, uh, probably add two or three, and then you got to roll it out there. The Big Ten is not overly daunting next year outside of East Lansing. So, um, you know, I agree with you. I think what they have and a couple pieces they can add, this certainly could still be a top five Big Ten team. If you're a top five Big Ten team, you're dancing. Brandon Quinn, read his stuff at The Athletic. Uh, always on top of everything related to Michigan and Michigan State. Appreciate it, Brandon. Thanks, Andy. And let's wrap up this podcast with Travis Steele from Xavier. He's up next on March Madness 365. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Xavier head coach Travis Steele. And Travis, uh, I was not gloating in any way, shape, or form, uh, although I think your fan base thought I was. But, you know, I thought it would be a difficult season, transition and all that, and you were losing a lot. And so there was that point in early February where you guys were 11 and 13 and 3 and 8, and it looked like, okay, they may finish, you know, lower. And then the whole season just completely flipped, and you guys went on a tear. And you guys knock off Villanova and Seton Hall. You win at Providence. You beat Creighton. You beat St. John's. You beat Creighton again. You beat St. John's again. I mean, these were all tournament or postseason teams. Uh, and you guys were rolling. And you end up 18 and 15, 9 and 9 overall in the Big East, one of the hottest teams, not just in the league and in the country. And then you get to the second round of the NIT before losing to eventual NIT champ, Texas. So as we look back at this season, first, what was the explanation for how this thing completely flipped? Yeah, you know, I think we had obviously a lot of new guys. Um, that we added to our roster, you know, late last spring, we added three grad transfers. We had, you know, a returning core back from our team the year before, but those guys were thrusted into completely new roles. And I think it took us a while to get our chemistry right, to get guys comfortable within their roles, understand their roles as well. And, and then I think we got, we took off and we got a heck of a lot better. You know, I told our guys throughout that time, you know, I thought our staff, our assistant coaches and, and uh, administrative assistants, they all did a great job being positive. And staying focused just on getting better every single day. That's all I cared about. You know, not the, necessarily the result. And I just wanted to see us get better and better and better. And it was a true test of our culture, of our program, you know, as far as, you know, how tough minded we had to be to be successful in this league and, and, uh, and just that growth mindset that we were looking for. And I thought we, we stuck with the process and, and we got better, like you said, at the very end of the year. So, Travis, look, I know you were confident in your own abilities, but, you know, I don't care who you are, when you're moving up that seat, when you're taking over a program like this that's had tremendous success, you need wins to build that credibility with your boosters, with your fan base, even though they knew you. Um, in that February time period, that early February, when things still were not going as well result-wise, maybe they were incrementally in practice and all that, how hard was that for you when you're going home, when you're dealing you know, with your family and trying not to get too frustrated because it just hadn't happened yet. You know, it was funny, Andy. I had a lot of, I had several people reach out to me during that time period, whether it was Ed Cooley in our league, you know, called me and said, hey, man, you're doing a great job. Keep your head up. You know, things are going to turn. And, you know, Sean Miller, you know, probably gave me one of the best pieces of advice during that time frame as well. He said, man, just, just keep believing in yourself, man. You're more than ready for this. You were born for this. 
and uh, and believe in the system that you have. And you know it works. You just got to keep on working to get better at it. And, uh, you know, so it was nice to have some people from the outside, uh, people that I really respect, some friends in this business, uh, to give me some some uh, some encouragement, you know, during that time. Because right? like you said, man, you always kind of look at it from you're saying, hey, what can we do better? Right. And you're always trying to look for the answers. Why are we losing? Why, why can we? You know, what, what's going wrong defensively? And and uh, and sometimes it's not, you know, just scrapping your entire system and saying, hey, let's do something different. It's, hey, you got to do it better. You got to find a way to teach your guys in a manner to where they understand it and they can execute it. And, uh, and like I said, I, I thought we uh, I thought we were able to do that, especially during the last 12 games of the year. So you were getting great advice from the outside and great support. But um, at any point for you personally, um, not that you're questioning your ability, but uh, were there any, you know, times where you said, you know what, um, I just wish this was happening quicker, and uh, you know, and trying not to show any kind of frustration, you know, during that, you know, six game losing streak. You know, obviously, you want to win every single game, <laughs> you know, um, so you always want it quicker, you know, and I think that's especially the way society is today. We all want it now, um, but also had had a you know had a bigger picture. In mind, I want to get our culture right this year. Continue to, to grow that. I want to get our guys better every single day as individuals, and and then continue to recruit guys that fit our, our program. Those are my three goals going into this year. And and I said, hey, you know, in order for us to grow our program and continue to grow, which when you think about Xavier's history, all the great coaches and all the great players that have come uh, that have that have been here as Xavier, man, it's just an honor to be here. But I, you know, but my job is to continue to grow this program and. Uh, you know, that's, that was my whole focus kind of on the whole year. And like you said, you, you want it now <laughs> instead of, instead of, uh, instead of in two, two years or a year or in two weeks, man, you want to do it now. But just understand sometimes it does take a little bit of patience in order to get to where you want to go. So with Najee Marshall, you know, you were one of the lucky ones here in that, <laughs> you know, there's been so many players uh, during this month of May who have gone the other way where they've said, you know what, I'm going to stay in the draft, whether or not they're promised you know, to be in the first round or think they're going to be in the first round or even be in the second round. Uh, mm-hmm. And there are other coaches that are going to have to wait uh, until the deadline of the 29th and, and really sweat it out. Um, why do you think Najee made that decision earlier in comparison to a lot of his peers who are, you know, either staying in or, or waiting down to that 11th hour? You know, it's funny, you know, Najee called me that Sunday afternoon when, when he decided to, uh, to announce that he's going to be staying coming back to, to college, coming back to Xavier and removing his name from the draft. And he said, Coach, quite honestly, I just I just want to get better. He said, I want to win next year. I want to win big. And uh and you know and I said, you know what, Najee, I said, if that's what you want, I said, I'm I'm gonna fully support whatever you do. You know, I want what's best for Najee. And, you know, for him to say that and have the maturity, understanding number one, that he does got to get a heck of a lot better. But number two, that you know, he's putting winning above everything else gives us a chance to be really, really good next year. Um, it shows you where his mindset is, where his mind is. It's in the right places. And when you have a guy like that with his talent level and ability, and like I said, it gives you a chance to be really, really good. Yeah, he was on a tear at the end of the last season. He had 28 in that win at Seton Hall. He had 17 against Villanova. He had 31 in the win against St. John's during that winning streak for you guys. Uh, what does he need to do? to take that next step to, to help you guys compete for a Big East championship and then ultimately help himself, you know, in the draft. 
you know, I think he has to stay committed to being the best defender in the entire Big East and the entire country, you know, because he's a guy and he can guard one through five. He can shut out, basically take the other team's best player out of the game, regardless of what position they are. You know, I think that makes him really unique. And then I think on the offensive end, it's about becoming a more consistent shooter from three, taking good ones and then making them. You know, just being a guy who shoots 35 from three um, because that keeps the defense honest and that'll set up his drives. And then I think, you know, the third area that he's got to continue to improve is just decision-making around the rim. You know, like he, his assist to turnover was positive last year. We need that thing to be two to one. And he's unique being six foot seven. Um, he's a guy that can really play make and we use him as a playmaker. Um, you know, he's a six, seven guard, And so he's got to be able to take care of the ball and make great decisions. All right, so we know he's back. He's going to be that anchor. He's going to be the go-to guy. What other pieces can you count on to have not maybe the same kind of impact, but certainly an impact to put Xavier in position to compete for another Big East championship? You know, we got to see what what the other three young men are going to be doing. With, with their names are still in the NBA draft right now process. You know, I'll start with those guys. You know, Tyreek Jones. You know, I think Tyreek is a guy, he could be the best big man in the Big East. There's no question about it. And I think he was either tied for the lead in the in double-doubles in Big East play, uh, or he was first. Uh, but he is an elite rebounder. He's got to lead the Big East in rebounding. He's got to man the paint. Um, I think people will be shocked. Uh, you know, he, he's become a much better shooter. He's really going to work on shooting. He's been adding that to his game just to be a, a guy that could play inside and outside for us. But I expect big things out of Tyreek. You know, Quentin Gooden will also be another senior on our team. You know, he needs to lead the Big East and assist the turnover ratio. He has to for us to be really good. And, and you know, he's obviously big. He's athletic. He's 6'4". He's got great positional size. Um, he has to be an elite decision maker. Uh, he's got to be that quarterback that calms everybody on the floor for us. And then, you know, obviously you got Paul Scruggs coming back. Paul had some tremendous moments, man. He took a big, big, big jump going from his freshman to sophomore years. Um, and we need him to take that next jump and next big step. Um, he became a guy night in, night out. He's a double, you know, double figure score for us. He can shoot the ball. He can drive the ball. We just need to get him to continue to improve his decision making, which it's improved quite a bit in the last year. And if he could take that next step, man, he'll, he should be an all league level player. Um, and we got Don Terry's James coming back, who didn't play a lot last year as a freshman, but I, I do think he got a lot better. He's had a great offseason so far. Um, I think he has a chance to impact our team at that at that forward position. And then, you know, we got seven new guys, you know, coming in that I think all, you know, bring different dynamics to our team. But we're going to be a lot deeper. Uh, we're going to be a lot more versatile, um, which is really exciting as a coach. All right, scheduling wise. Uh, what have you lined up that certainly will help Xavier? And traditionally, Xavier's always played a good non-conference schedule that'll put you in a position that it doesn't all rely on the Big East to get in. Yeah, you know, you know, non-conference schedule is really, really important. And you look at the net and how important, how much, you know, obviously, the committee uh, values that. You know, getting quad one, quad two opportunities is critical. And then being able to play games away from home is critical and getting wins. You know, so we're going to be down in the Charleston um, uh, classic down there. I know it's got Florida, it's got Miami of Florida, it's got UConn, it's got a heck of a heck of a field. And then we're going to play uh, in the in the uh, Big East uh, Big Twelve Challenge or whatever it's called. Andy, we're going to play at TCU. Um, we're going to be at Wake Forest. We're going to have Missouri here at home. We're going to have Cincinnati here at home. Um, 
you know, we'll have, you know, we ch- try to really challenge ourselves with the mid major schools that are going to, that we're going to play. You know, we wanted to get teams that were going to finish either that were picked to win their league or finish in the top three, you know, to really kind of help our net as well. And you know, we have a really challenging game in Missouri state who I think could be favored to win the uh, Missouri Valley. You know, they'll be coming to our arena. So again, I, I think it's going to be a really challenging non-conference schedule and really prepare us for, for Big East play. Uh, I was asking coaches that have been on my podcast over the last uh, couple of weeks, the three-point line, it's not official yet, but likely it's all going to push back to um, uh, two feet to the international distance. How do you think that will affect your team and college basketball next season? Yeah, I think it will impact in a positive way. You know, I do. I think the more space on the floor, the better. Um, you know, I think it, it will uh, it'll open up things even more. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. It's like kids – I don't think there was a huge difference between between the amount of threes that were taken with it when we had the NIT rules and the percentage of threes uh, or uh, percentage made. There wasn't a huge difference. You know, our guys will adjust. It's what we do. I mean, we we're going to work on it obviously all off season here. You know, we'll be working on that range because um, the three point shot obviously has uh, really transformed the game, especially here in the last ten years. And you mentioned Ed Cooley. Uh, he talked to Michigan, stayed put. Uh, what kind of impact has uh, Cooley had at Providence and maybe even for you in the Big East? Well, you know, n- number one, man, it's great for the Big East. Great. You know, Ed Cooley is a terrific coach, even better person. I mean, he has Providence running at a really high level. I think it speaks volumes to, to Providence and the program that they have, that they've built and their administration and their leadership and the vision that they have for that program, but also the Big East. You know, like our, our league, to me, is, is the best basketball league in the entire country. So we're, we're happy Ed's, Ed's staying in the uh, Big East for many years to come. Well, Travis, I appreciate it, and uh, I know that we'll be picking Xavier as a tournament team come <laughs> next fall. No, nowhere like near it. the bottom of the Big East. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. All right, thanks, Travis. All right, thanks, Andy. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. As always, you can find our podcast wherever you download your podcasts on your iTunes or, of course, all over our social media platforms at NCAA.com, Twitter, Facebook, and, of course, our March Madness social media handle. Thanks for listening.